0: So for the rest of the month, we're going to finish up our series in life together that we've been going through occasionally. And we're looking at passages that have the the, the one another passages in the New Testament where they talk about one another. And uh, the last time that we were in Colossians, we talked about how our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And that is the good news for us. And because that is true of us, what we do then is we put off some old vices, and we put on some new virtues. And these vices that we put off are community-oriented oftentimes oriented vices. Vices such as slander, malice, mean talk. And they're community virtues such as compassion, bearing with each other, forgiving each other. And the question that we ask then for us is, how do we together in our life do this. Like, how do we grow in these virtues in our life together? And the answer for that is what the- our theological confessions have called the means of grace. The means of grace. Now, what, like, what does the means of grace mean? I never like, really understood that terminology growing up. It was not a way that I talked. The means of grace. Well, uh, Pastor Rankin-Wilburn he describes it this way in, um, in his book, Union with Christ. And he tells a story of one time uh, when he went to the doctor, and he says, the other summer, I started to feel this, like, chest pain in my chest. And I made a serious mistake, he said. I went to WebMD, to the Mayo Clinic's website, and I searched in all the things that were wrong, and uh, I searched in tingling arms. Hmm, yep, that's me. Uh, Pressure on the chest. Yeah, I have that. Uh, and then pretty soon, he said, I was convinced that I was dying. And, you know, we've all been there. Go on the website, go online, and look up whatever it is, and we think that we're dying from, from an Internet disease that we might have. And so he goes to the doctor, and they ran a bunch of tests. And when he got back the next day, the doctor asked him, Mr. Wilborn, are you stressed... Now, Lincoln Wilborn, he's the pastor of a church with three young children. And uh, it's just I have three young children, too. And, and as a pastor with three young children, I mean, what's he supposed to say? Like, you know, I'm a pastor, not me, doctor. I have, you know, peace like a river. And so he says, um, I, I don't think so. And the doctor said to him, sometimes the body tells you what's really going on. As far as the tests go, you're healthy. But your body is telling you that you need to rest more, eat better, and exercise. And so Wilborn, he looks up at the wall and he sees the doctor's you know, medical degree from John Hopkins, M.D., and he goes re- re- you know, so right back to the doctor. So you're telling me what I need is to rest more, eat better, and and exercise, and then I'll feel better. And the doctor says, yes. (laughs) You see, it turns out the means of health and feeling better are oftentimes the basics of get more rest, eat healthier, and exercise. Which, of course, we all know these things. Uh, And in a similar way, the means of grace The means of grace such as the Word, the sacraments, and prayer. These are the means, these are the practices of our spiritual health and our growth in grace. And the thing is, we all know this. We really do. But part of what my my purpose and what I want to do is to encourage us towards these things that we know. And maybe a distinct emphasis that you may need to hear this morning is that the means of grace are church community activities. They're church activities. You see, when we think about the word as a means of grace to grow us, we oftentimes think of a, a very individualist emphasis. And yes, we ought to each read the Bible for ourselves. But in the Bible itself, the community emphasis of the word as a means of grace is so strong. This is what the doctor called for when we find in ourselves that we have a spiritual distress. You see, um, in this passage, we see that we're called to have the peace of Christ rule in our hearts as one body. But you and I know that each of us are prone to distress to discord, despair, and ingratitude. Look at verse 15, where Paul tells us. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called, in one body, and be thankful. It seems like, I think for me, and probably for you, that oftentimes our experience, more often than not, is that you know, the peace like a river that we find and talked about It doesn't always attend our way. The shalom in heart, in mind, in body, and the prosperity of our life oftentimes is lacking all around. And we see also here that this peace, the peace of Christ, it's in reference to the community where love binds us together in perfect harmony. In verse 14, And Paul is saying that this community peace or harmony is something that we're called to because we are, in fact, one body. We're Christ's body. And so why is it that peace is absent in our hearts personally and harmony in the body is oftentimes lacking? Why? Why? I think it's embedded right here in this verse because the next thing he says is, Let the peace of Christ rule and be thankful. And be thankful. You see, it's three times in three verses right at this section. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule and be thankful. And then verse 16 he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing with thankfulness. And verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. It's thankfulness that we need. Gratitude and the peace of Christ ruling in us. It goes hand in hand. Thankfulness and peace. The Apostle's earlier in verse 2 Set your minds on the things that are above, where Christ is, not on the things that are on the earth. That where Christ is, this is where peace is found. As the psalmist oftentimes said in the, the Psalms of Ascent, And when they were distressed looking at Jerusalem from far off, the psalmist says, I lift my eyes unto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. There's that that great hymn that says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Now we don't take this to say that we stick our heads in the sand and we deny the difficulties or become unconcerned with the world. Nor is Paul saying that we're not concerned with the life of the world. He says, seek the things that are above. He's not saying don't care about the earth. What he's saying here is there's a light for a look at the Savior and life that is more abundant and free. You see, the freed up life that we have in Christ Jesus is that we're actually freed up to love the world because we're not a slave to it. That's the peace of Christ that rules in our life. And I think the point that I see here is that peace like a river, it doesn't flow oftentimes because we're not thankful. We forget to lift our eyes up to the heavens. Beloved family, you know that this was the problem of the people of Israel in the wilderness. Our spiritual forefathers and ancestors, we're their children. You know, think about it. The great act of redemption. That the people have been hunted by Pharaoh and his army. And they, God miraculously parts the Red Sea and they go through. And Israel crosses on dry land. And as they get across, Pharaoh's army, the most powerful human force in all of the world, rushes forward and is drowned in the sea. And they come out on the other side and they see that their enemies are dead on the side of the, the waters. And this is the very next thing that they say is in Exodus 15. They say, Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The very next paragraph, the very next thing that happens is three days later, they come to the bitter waters of Merah and they grumble. What shall we drink? They say. And the Lord there, in His kindness, He turns the bitter waters of Merah into sweet waters. And then they go right on after that. And He saves their, 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 their lives and He provides the water. And they complain then about food. And He provides the food. And then not, after, not long after that, they complain and say, oh man, I wish we could sit back by the meat pots. Oh, the leeks and the onions in in Egypt. see they grumble right after they'd been redeemed and just like them we grumble even after god has done his mighty works in our lives and what happens when we continue to grumble rather than be grateful and thankful our lives become like the waters of merah bitter and we lose the peace of christ because we forget to have gratitude for his marvelous works And so my question for you is, what are you grumbling about right now? I mean what what's got you complaining all the time that steals away your peace? What is it? You may have heard the story I've shared before. I remember when I was in seminary and we had recently found out that Matheson was pregnant. I was going to have a baby before I got out of seminary. Not that third one, but our first one. And she was going to have to work a lot less. And we didn't know how we were going to provide. And so we calculated how much money we needed to pay rent and buy groceries and all that stuff, and it was about $4,000 that we were going to need. We didn't know where it was going to come from. We were getting anxious about it. And I remember we sat on our couch And we said, God has provided for us again and again and again. And we're not going to grumble like the people of Israel in the wilderness. And two days later, I received a call that we were being given a scholarship that was $4,000. That was just what we needed. Three years ago, I was getting ready to start raising funds for Ruf at UTEP, and we needed to raise. You may have remembered this. We needed to raise fifty thousand dollars to be in the count before we could even think about getting on campus. I was almost paralyzed in fear, and I said, "Lord, I don't know how you're going to provide, but we're looking to you." And you did abundantly and exceedingly beyond what I could have imagined. And now he's even provided for a campus ministry associate in Eduardo who's going to take this work and continue it. God provides. And he's thankful. And now, even now, I think about our need for a building and and the long-term stability of a place. and And I'm prone to feel discouraged. These same feelings. And to grumble. But I say, let us look unto the hills where our help comes from. from the maker of heaven and earth who can provide all that we need together. If we're going to let the peace of Christ and perfect harmony rule in our life, then every step of every day in our lives as individuals and as a church, we have to cultivate hearts of gratitude, of thankfulness, of remembering what He's done, how we've come this far, By his, by faith, by his leading. You see, we all have habits of meditating, and the question is: Are we going to meditate on the things that we are are, have gratitude, or the things that make us grumble? Are we going to meditate on the things that bring peace, or our anxious toil? This is me preaching to myself. But the good news here is that you and I, we are not stuck in grumbling. Because we're not alone in the struggle, in the fight for the peace of Christ to rule in our lives. We're not alone in it. Paul tells us in verses the next verse, in verse 16, starting in verse 15, he says, "...let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts." And then verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, what Paul is telling us is that the peace of Christ that you and I desperately need, it rules in our life when the Word of Christ is sung together by us, the people of Christ. When we sing the Word together, you see the imperative to let peace rule, it's parallel to the imperative, let the word dwell in you. The gospel of Jesus, what Paul is saying, is that this word and peace, like a river that rules, the word and peace, they come together. That's why they're called, that's why the word is called a means of grace for us. Just like we say, the doctors say, you know, more or less, eat healthy. And get exercise. So also we come back to over and over again that our growth in peace, our growth in the virtues, comes from the word. And you know this. We all know this. Yet what we must see, and we might not see, is that the word as a means of grace is first and foremost, it is a church wide activity. Of the church together. He's very clear about this. It's the whole church teaching and admonishing one another. Do you see that? We can kind of see it in English, but in the Greek it's even clearer that the participle, mod- the modifier of the phrase, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, is how? Teaching and admonishing one another. You see, the world takes its residence up in your life and in my life deeply and fully when you together as the congregation, as the people of God, are teaching and encouraging one another. You see, the Word of Christ, it will not dwell in us richly if we only by ourselves just read the Bible on alone and are not connected to the body. As Bonhoeffer said again 70 years ago, the Christian, we need our brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. We need our brother solely because of Jesus. And this is the word, he says, "The, the word of Christ in my own heart is weaker than the word of Christ from my brother. My own heart is uncertain, but my brother's is sure." You see, they' saying we're not islands. Your heart is often uncertain and unsure, but the Word of God from your sister, from your brother, it is sure and it is strong. Every day, I need Matheson to point me to the Word of salvation and of God's work because I get uncertain and discouraged. But I need more than her to do that. I need other Christians. And for me as a pastor, that oftentimes comes from other pastors. From pastors in our presbytery that can encourage me, pastors who are fathers and pastors who are brothers who point me back to the word. And so it is for you and I. As the church, we need to teach another one another so that the word dwells in us richly. And this first and foremost comes to us in singing. In singing. This is how, we may not expect it, but this is what he says. It's from singing together the Word. That the peace of Christ rules when the people of God sing the Word. Notice that in verse 16. Admonishing and encouraging one another in all wisdom with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Peace rules when we teach and encourage each other through singing. Singing. I think oftentimes in Reformed circles and Bible teaching churches that we oftentimes just think of in terms of like a Sunday school class or a Bible study. And these are good things. But what God's Word tells us is that the way that we encourage and admonish one another, the way that we instruct and encourage is by singing the Gospel to each other singing So singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and spiritual songs are I mean it's not like saying we sing Coldplay and Viva La Vida or something like that and, you know for me and my family we got through a lot of the pandemic by you know bailando cumbia and stuff like that but cumbia does not give us the peace of Christ it's the word sung with each other The peace of Christ rules when the word of Christ is sung together by the people of Christ. And the only thing that matters, there's always been these kind of worship wars that have have gone on about what we sing and what instruments we use. and, And you know, Ben, you were probably back in those days with those things. The thing that is important when we sing is that we can hear each other and that it's singable. It's not about a concert. Then, when you sing, you're actually preaching the word to each other. Now, media is oftentimes a great platform for reaching people, and I think it's here to stay. You know, it's a good thing. I mean, uh, Eddie wants to start a podcast, you know, and uh, we're going to probably do it, and it's going to be with, you know, Los, Los Lalos, El Viejo y El Blanco, and I'll let you figure out who's who in that one. And listening to worship online, if you're with us, all of these things are good places. But we also have to understand the limits of hearing podcasts, hearing songs online. And you guys are crazy because you're here on a really hot Sunday morning. But one of the reasons that we we must gather together is that the Word of Christ, as we sing it together, we encourage each other. We need the parallel passage in here in Ephesians 5 to this. Actually explains what it means to be filled with the Spirit.
1: What is the initial
0: evidence of being filled with the Spirit? You know, some people will tell you that it's, you know, speaking in tongues. Look from looking from Acts But Paul himself, in Ephesians 5, he tells us what the evidence of being filled in the Holy Spirit is. He says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to the Lord with your heart. You see, when we address each other, when we sing songs to each other, the Lord... It's working in us. And that is what it means. That is a sign of being filled with His Spirit. And we can't help but do it to praise Him because of what He's done in our lives. So why do we sing to each other, encourage it, and admonish each other with the Word? It's because the Lord delights in us. As the call to worship this morning was, the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty One who will save... He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. And He will exult over you with loud singing. Our Father in heaven sings in delight over us because of His Son. And so we can sing to each other. In Jesus' name, let's pray.